Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning, and thank you to my teacher, Gaila Roshi, for inviting me to give this talk and therefore <coughs> encouraging me to deepen my practice. There they are, pounding heart, quickening <laughs> breath, dry mouth, shaking hands. Some of the sensations I experience in my body when I feel fear. In this case, fear of public speaking. A couple of months ago, I experienced fear in a different way. When there was the possibility of a serious illness involving a family member. In that case, I found my mind going into a state of panic, creating all kinds of terrible scenarios of the future. Even though I knew I was creating them in my mind, I couldn't stop myself and had to work hard to calm down and to think sensibly. Fear and its role in our lives and our practice is what I'd like to talk about today. Fear can restrict our lives it can stop us from doing things that could be beneficial to ourselves and to others. It can stop us from speaking up when there are things that need to be said. Fear can also be used to hurt and manipulate others. On the other hand, though fear is painful and uncomfortable, interestingly, it is not listed as one of the afflictions in Buddhism, afflictions such as anger or greed. In some ways, fear is a good thing as it warns us that we may be in danger. It can protect us. The Buddha taught that there are four noble truths. The first noble truth states that suffering exists. The second teaches that the cause of, cause of our suffering is within ourselves. Third noble truth states that the cessation of suffering is possible. The fourth teaches us that there is a path, the Eightfold Path, that leads to the end of suffering. According to Robert Thurman, a Buddhist scholar in the Tibetan tradition, fear is embodied in the first noble truth, stating that suffering exists. Thurman says, the truth of suffering is not a doomsday prediction. It is not expressing an inevitable destiny. On the contrary, it alerts us to the fact that we are being aware of what we really are. We are deluded about suffering. We ought to be aware of our suffering. Otherwise, why would we have any reason to do anything about it? He goes on to say, It is said that out of ignorance we fear what we should not fear, and we're not afraid of what we should be afraid of. Usually we fear interconnectedness, but it is in fact the disconnectedness that we ought to be afraid of. Starting out with the right kind of fear is the way to fearlessness. So, our fear of suffering can motivate us to learn about ourselves through meditation, concentration, and study, to understand that our suffering stems from our creation of a separate self, and to understand that we, can, that we are actually interconnected. There are conscious fears, such as fear of public speaking, or being in an accident, or fear of illness, there's a strong instinctual fear that kicks in when we're in harm's way. It is, what, it is what makes us jump out of the way when we see a car coming or a branch falling. But there are also underlying fears that drive our behavior. 
We may be afraid of losing control, of being alone, or being unworthy. There's an underlying fear of letting go of our ego, of letting go of our separation and duality. This is what is meant by the fear we should not fear. Fear can be our teacher. It has an important role to play and can be a gift. It is what propels us to seek refuge. Perhaps it is, it is what brought you here, seeking the Dharma. Kama Chodron, a Buddhist nun and a great teacher says, the next time you encounter fear, consider yourself lucky. This is where the courage comes in. Brave people are intimate with fear. She goes on to say, we can be softened by the energy of fear. It pierces us to the heart and it opens us up. It's when our usual schemes fall apart. This is when we can begin our journey towards fearlessness. So what is fearlessness? There's a Buddhist story about a fierce and terrifying band of samurai that are breaking, that are bringing fear throughout the countryside. As they approach a particular town, the monks flee the town's monastery, except for the abbot, who remains peacefully sitting at the front of the shrine room. The fierce leader brandishes his sword and says, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm the sort of person who can run you through with my sword without batting an eye? The Zen master responds, and I'm the sort of man who could be run through by a sword without batting an eye. The Zen master, when faced with the inevitability of his death, had two possibilities. He could fight with this moment and create more suffering, or he could relax his mind and let go of the suffering, accepting that this is what is happening in this moment. I did wonder why the Zen master didn't run away like the monks. Why did he stay to face this imminent danger? As I explored how we move towards attaining fearlessness, I think I understood the meaning of his staying, rather than running away to safety. I will come back to him later in the talk. Fearlessness is facing what is happening in this moment, or simply accepting that this is what is, it can't be other than this, and at times that truth can be soothing. Fearlessness is also depicted in the images of the Buddha, the night of his enlightenment. The Buddha is seated under the Bodhi tree, he's meditating and relaxed, with one hand touching the ground, connecting to the earth. In some images, he seems surrounded by a protective shield. He's also surrounded by maras, the afflictions and obstacles that try to disrupt his concentration. Some are attacking him with arrows and spears, but as these hit his protective shield, they turn into flowers that fall to the ground around him. He has no fear. In our lives, we alternate between fear and fearlessness. We might be nervous, fearful, or overwhelmed. Then we might be calm, courageous, and steady. It's a fact that we get frightened and fear can protect us, but exerting only willpower to overcome it 
or pretending that we're not affected by it does not make it go away. Fear can motivate us into action to mobilize all our resources. Love can be connected to fear as the most overwhelming fear can be the fear we feel for those we love when they may be in danger. I find, found that I, I have found that I've become almost paralyzed with fear and panic when one of my loved ones is in possible danger. It takes fearlessness not to become overwhelmed when facing danger, or illness, or death. It also takes fearlessness to look at ourselves honestly and openly and to tackle our anger, our feelings of unworthiness, or our neediness, or any other aspect of ourselves that we may be covering up through our deluded vision of ourselves. How do we cultivate this fearlessness within ourselves, especially when we are faced with our many fears? <coughs> Staying with our fear in that shaky and vulnerable place can be transformative. It takes courage to sit with the uncertainty and definitely feels counterintuitive. But allowing space tenderly and compassionately is what we need to do. We don't need to find an immediate solution. We just need to be present with that fear, even if just for a moment. Going to the places that scare us takes courage, but it is when we can let go that we can grow. When we are ready to compassionately inquire into the workings of our own ego, we may encounter fear, especially as our usual defenses start to come down. But this is when we grow and come closer to our true nature. This is where we practice. When we are at the crossroads, not knowing which way to go, in this place we may be able to let go of our fixed views and to tap into our innate, our innate wisdom. However, staying in this in-between state is not something we will find easy to do or even be able to do. This is why we sit zazen. On the cushion we can practice in silence and concentration so that when the difficult times arise, and we all know they will, we can perhaps <coughs> stay still, stay present with our emotions, stay present with our emotions to better tap into our own wisdom as we look for solutions. On the cushion, we can work with the things that scare us. When our attitude towards fear becomes more welcoming, when we begin to approach our fear with curiosity, it can be transformative. When we can create a little space to be inquisitive about what is going on, there's a releasing of tension and a place to connect with the moment. Dokusan with Tension Rep. Anderson. Dokusan is a meeting with a Zen teacher. I spoke to him about my fear of public speaking. He said to be kind to my fear and to welcome it. Well, every time I feel it, he suggested that I say, Hello there, fear. There you are again. Welcome. <laughs> he said to remember that it is a gift, not a hindrance. It is a chance to open up to accept it, and therefore to accept yourself as you are, all of it. 
because it can give you strength. He went on to say that these moments are the doorways to wisdom, so don't turn them away. On the contrary, welcome them in as your teachers. Our perception of what happens to us, whether we perceive it as obstacle and enemy to, enemy to be pushed away and rejected, or as teacher and friend to be welcomed in, depends on our relationship with ourselves and how we perceive our reality. Therefore, we sit in zazen because it is training for how we approach ourselves and our lives. And the things we need to work on will come up over and over again as we sit in the present moment. These teachers will not go away until they have taught us what we need to learn. Through diligence and concentration, perhaps we can turn those arrows and spears into flowers. That which seems ugly, problematic, and difficult can become our teacher. First, we acknowledge the fear. Acknowledging some fears can be difficult, especially those underlying fears, such as the fear that may be lurking beneath our insecurity or our anger. So once I've said hello to my fear, what happens next? We need to be willing to sit with it, to acknowledge it, to experience it. We try to feel it in our bodies rather than the thoughts that are flying around in our mind. Instead, feel the physical sensations. Where in our body are we experiencing this emotion? This is a beginning step to facing the fear directly rather than hiding or disguising it. There is a story in the Tibetan tradition about Milarepa, a yogi who lives in a cave. One day, when Milarepa returns to his cave after gathering firewood, he finds that it has been overtaken by demons. His first thought is that he must get them out of his cave, so he lunges at them, chases them, trying to force them out. But the more he chases, the more they are unfazed and comfortable in his cave. Realizing that his efforts to run them out have failed, he decides that maybe if he tries teaching them, they will go. So he talks to them about compassion, kindness, and the nature of impermanence. The monsters do not budge. At this point, Milarepa lets out a sigh of surrender and realizes that he may have something to learn from them. He looks deeply into the eyes of each demon and says, since we're going to be together, I open myself to whatever you may have to teach me. In that moment, all the monsters started to leave. Milarepa said to them, it is wonderful you came today. You must come again tomorrow. From time to time, you should converse. As we practice sitting with our fears, we become better at facing them, especially those that are lurking beneath the surface waiting to arise. That fear of unworthiness, of not being enough, or that fear of being out of control, of not being able to control all the outcomes of our life, or that fear of being alone. We naturally protect ourselves from these fears, but as we practice, we can come to know that our true nature lies beneath the beliefs that we have about ourselves. Like the monsters, they will come back, and we can invite them in, get to know them better, so we can see them as they truly are 
and then they can leave. We can try to approach them with curiosity to see where this ride might take us. I think this is why the Zen master in the story of the fierce samurai did not run away like the monks did. In his wisdom, he knew that running away was not a solution. Like Milarepa, he knew that true liberation comes from facing what life is offering us, which may bring us face to face with our own death. The first step is awareness. Like Milarepa, we see the demons in the cave. They may have been there all along, but now we see them. We may see the fear and vulnerability beneath our anger, or the fear of unworthiness beneath our insecurity or jealousy. Our first instinct may be to push the fear away by turning on the television, reading a bowl of ice cream, or picking up our phone to surf the web, or grabbing a drink, or whatever we do to avoid what makes us uncomfortable. We try to chase those monsters out of our cave. Then, like Milarepa, we may try to fix it, because by teaching, perhaps by teaching those monsters the Dharma, we may be very good at finding calm on our cushion as we meditate, or consider ourselves to be very spiritual and therefore able to control those monsters. But they're still there in the cave. We still have an idealized image or belief of who we are without getting to the root of our true nature. The last stage, is like Milarepa, to let go of all pretenses, all our pretenses, our strategies, our defenses, and just be present, and willing to learn whatever the demons may teach us, and to even invite them back, so they have finished teaching us what we need to learn. We are willing to be with this experience, and sometimes in this willingness, this openness begins to calm things down. An essential component of this journey is loving, kindness, and compassion towards ourselves. It is a compassionate inquiry into our thoughts and emotions, and it is an ongoing and sometimes painful process. We need to be kind to ourselves, to know when we're pushing too hard, and need to back off till we're ready to start again. This is our path. In a recent Dharma talk here, our teacher said, Compassion is the most important thing, the only thing, always, no matter what. This is true as we embark on this journey of fearlessness, as we face those places that scare us. We are living in fearful times, I think, with much uncertainty about the future. As practitioners on this path, and we open our hearts and minds, and we find ways to connect, to feel less divided. And we find joy in the small miracles we encounter every day. May we see the barriers that we create. May we go to the places that scare us.